0: Welcome back. It's a new year and we're still reading comics. Hopefully, you have a new year resor- resolution to read more comics. This is Professor Hamby, always with his teaching assistant, Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. And we are continuing to offer from Miskatonic University's remote education program Literature 209 Graphical Literature and Society and History, aka the Comics Course, a series of lectures on comics distributed as a podcast. You can go to our website, comicscourse.org. I'm not a web designer, but I'm still trying to, you know, spruce it up and make it as usable as I can. You can also go directly to our podcast distributor, comicscourse.captivate.fm. They make us available on all kinds of platforms, so you can already find us on Stitcher and Apple Music and Google Play and all that kind of stuff. I understand there are some issues going on with Spotify for some reason, um, probably because, I don't know, they're a bunch of inbred fuck twits or something. I don't know. Um,
1: What's the harshness towards Spotify for?
0: They have shitty quality music, man. Pay for a damn decent stream like I do. I mean, do you really want to l- listen to music to where you can't even understand the words they're saying because it's so compressed? And I know you use Apple Music and we're like, holy crap, Lisa from Blackpink, she uses English words more than I thought. Because you would listen to it, like, on YouTube and Spotify before.
2: Not everyone can afford Apple
0: Music. Well, that's true. Anyway, my hatred persists because apparently I'm a snob also. And I'm okay. Somebody has to defend culture here. And Spotify should have a business model where they can still provide better quality. Just saying. Oh, the bird is true, though. Um, and if you want to yell at me and tell me that I'm a horrible, horrible person for agreeing with my TA, and I'm just saying from the mouth of babes, she's right, you can contact me on Twitter at profhamby. That's P-R-O-F-T-W-I-T-T-E-R. Just in case you were an art major and can't spell. Hey. Oh. <laughs> You do? So you yes. can write the little descriptions of whatever random crap you create and throw up in the gallery? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, I've got teaching whiskey and I've got water, and we also have red vines. This is the second batch of red vines. The first ones uh, B brought me had some sort of weird um, purple fungus on them. I still think it should be. And, uh, you know, she, her, her assistant brought me these after I called her office about them. So you know, I'm kind of concerned about Miskatonic's uh, sourcing of foods. I still
1: think you
0: should have tried the purple ones. Uh, I I it did try. Nice sauce. I did try one, and um, my my boss told me I'm not supposed to talk about those health issues on the podcast anymore.
1: She's one step closer. Uh, she's a
0: sweet soul. I mean, you know, it's not her fault that you know sourcing sometimes screws the stuff up. So we are today going to continue discussing Black Panther. And one of the reasons I'm doing this long-ass series on the early week drop of the podcast about Black Panther is I think it's an excellent example of mythology. Now, up to this point, talking about Black Panther, we basically had Stanley Jack Kirby, Black Panther. We had Don McGregor, Black Panther, who built on top of Stanley and Jack Kirby. And then we had Christopher Priest, Black Panther, who built on top of Don McGregor and Stan Lee. Although he was a little more interested in the Jack Kirby style than the Don McGregor, but certainly did nothing to contradict it, he just added as if there were strange absences in, you know, the Don McGregor time period. Now we get to Reginald Hudlin and you know one of the things that amuses me is Marvel fans. For most of my life I have heard rant about how Marvel is superior to DC. Because Marvel doesn't reboot stuff. They do weird things to reset certain things, but they don't retcon the way DC has with Crisis. Now, some of that's faded in the last few years as Marvel has touched on rebooting a little more. Um, but certainly, you know, 80s and 90s post, you know, with Crisis on Infinite earth and these other stuff, Marvel's like, we, we embrace our complicated history and we deal with it, unlike DC, who just can't deal with it and have to reboot well, Marvel guys, you have rebooted. You, you've retconned the fuck out of stuff. And it's not even retconning. Retconning is when you go back and say, here's something you didn't know, and that changes things. You just flat out change stuff. And this is an example. Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther erases Christopher Priest's Black Panther. Now, he borrows elements from it. Not all of it is gone, certainly. Not all of it. But... Some elements are. And of course, one of the things that's going to get confusing is that later when we get to Todd Nahisi Coates' Black Panther, he uses Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther as the basis of it, but then borrows parts from Christopher Priest's Black Panther that don't make sense in continuity with Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther.
2: So answer is Black Panther was an A-list character, so writers were allowed to do whatever they wanted.
0: Sort of. It depends on the writer. And that's going to become important when we talk about Reginald Hudlin here. Now, but what it does underscore is what I keep ranting on, and this is the central thesis I want people to get. Comic books are a mythology. And as different storytellers tell them, we embrace that they're going to tell different and varied versions of the stories. And we just roll with it. And we see that with Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther. Now, let's talk a little bit about who Reginald Hudlin is, because a lot of people uh, may not know a whole lot about him because he's a kind of behind-the-scenes guy. I am going to pull up, as I talk here, his Wikipedia article so you can see a picture of him. And it's not going to mean much to you, Rowan, but it'll provide some context. And so that's Reginald Hudlin. He's uh, an African-American man. He actually has a big, strong history in what some people would consider uh, the sort of bigger level media in America. Now, this is important to say because... As much as a fan of comic books and as much as, as big as comic books are now through the Marvel Cinematic Universe and DC's newer offerings on the CW and in theater theatrical works, the truth is is that until Marvel hit it big and the CW got big and that kind of stuff, comic book properties and films were seen as kind of second run, or a lot of people didn't even know they were. You told me you didn't know Men in Black was a comic book um there's tons of properties people don't know are comic books we're going to talk in our next podcast about things like the mask which people went to see the films of in huge numbers and didn't know were comic books um you you have a questioning look on your face are you you familiar with the mask no it was a huge movie at the time it was released huge 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 i mean like blockbuster huge okay starring jim carrey all that we'll talk about that uh uh in our dark history of dark horse episode
2: I, stupid.
0: I did think it was stupid. I didn't hate it. Hold on, I need some teaching whiskey. I didn't hate it, but I did think it was stupid and I didn't like it. <clears throat> but I was vastly in the minority, um, at least of the movie-going audience, because it made a, <clears throat> and this is a technical term I want you to remember, uh, shitload falling from the sky as if whales are made of helium amount of money. the wells are made of helium and their shit is made of lead and that hit and it was cashable as gold money. I mean, it was huge money. Um, which is not as bad an analogy as the one you made before we started recording. When you said statistically right now, a monkey and a rhino somewhere are having sex. Or go off statistics. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's how statistics work. I think that as an art major, you may want to take a statistics class. Just saying. Anyway, let, let We'll and, talk about whales and monkey and rhino sex later. Let's no, talk I'm, about, oh, sorry, not. whale excrement <laughs> with monkey rhino sex later. I, wow, I that got scatological. Sorry.
2: I, I don't know the details on any of
0: those. You brought it up. So let's go back to Reginald Hudland then, who has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, Reginald Hudland works in the AV industry, you know, audiovisual. And when, Mar- before Marvel broke big into movies, this was the kind of field that Marvel and DC looked to like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is big entertainment. These people make tons of money. You know, these are the people we want to end with. And of course, creators often grow up reading comics and it's their mythology. It's their gods. They love it. So Reginald Hudland was a big name in Hollywood. Still is, still is. But I- I'm talking about at the point in time that these things happened around 2005 He was a director. He had wrote and directed a seminal 90s movie called House Party for a rap act at the time called Kid and Play. It was a huge movie at the time, both stylistically and otherwise. Uh, He did Boomerang in 1992, which was Eddie Murphy's sort of return after living in self-exile after making a movie called Pluto Nash. Boomerang and House Party were not just big for the African-American community, although they certainly were. And Eddie Murphy is an iconic African-American comedian and actor. Uh, for those who don't know him, he rose to fame doing Saturday Night Live in the late 70s with some very edgy characters like Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, which was a play off Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, with, you know, the guy living downstairs who'd rob everybody if he had a chance and that kind of thing. There's a mic there, by the way, Rowan. I'm aware of that Okay. Line. And then he did some very off-color comedy, like Delirious and Raw, um, which, when I was a kid, were like concert albums that people would pass around on tape, like, don't let your parents know that you're listening to this. Um, And Reginald Hedlund was behind House Party, Boomerang, other projects, lots of other projects. He's helped produce... uh, Things like, I believe, some of the Tyler Perry projects, which are very African-American oriented and very popular. He was a longtime president of Black Entertainment Television, BET. So he's somebody deeply entrenched in the entertainment world, big entertainment world. None of these are small things by any stretch of the imagination. And he met through one of his storyboard artists who he worked with He met Neil Adams. Now, I I probably should do a biography episode on Neil Adams one day. Neil Adams is an absolute art god in the comic book world. Uh, When I was a young man, reading Neil Adams' Batman was like a religious experience. You actually looked at these comics and they felt real. He drew people like real people. You felt like you were watching a movie of actual people doing these things. Um, and, and so, yeah, well, since you're an art person and you love art, we'll have to do some Neil Adams, a Neil Adams episode one day, mm-hmm. because nothing makes good radio like looking at pictures. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's Reginald Hudlin and he's meeting Neil Adams and he, I, I'm imagining that he's geeking out meeting Neil Adams, right? Cause I would, I mean, not many people would starstruck me. But I would just like hold out my hand and be like, well, actually, I'm not imagining. I've met Neil Adams and I was starstruck. And I was like, I want to convey to you that I think you're a god, but I don't want to be a dork about this. You know, it'd be like meeting a it was amazing to meet him and it was a a true pleasure. And he was a gentleman Um, and he put up with my fanboy ass. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure Reginald Hudlin was feeling the same way, because how can you not? And Neil Adams uh, talked to him and said, you know what, I think you should talk to the people at Marvel and you should meet them. And so Reginald Hudlin went to talk to them at Marvel and they were like, well, who do you love as a comic book character? Who, Who are the characters you love? And he ran off a list. And at the top of the list was the Black Panther. And there were things he liked and didn't like about how the Black Panther had been done. And he said that he loved that Christopher Priest made him a king and made him smart and made him cool and badass. But he felt that Christopher Priest made him too aloof and distant, and he really loved the energy of the Jack Kirby Black Panther. And so they're just talking, you know, it's like people talking about comics in his mind. And they're wrapping up the meeting and they say to him, so, you know, you'll write the Black Panther comic for us? And he's like, "What? that's not what we were talking Six issues. Come on, you'll do six-issue series for us, right? Well, uh, yeah. I guess I will. Fuck yeah. I mean, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you say no to that? You don't.
2: It's easy. It's two letters.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To to use Japanese. We we can go Russian. Yet, It's not. This you, You know... When somebody, it was like if somebody offered to let me write Captain America, Spider Man, Batman, Green Lantern, not Hall Jordan, um, I couldn't say no. I wouldn't be able to. Physically, the fanboy in me would rise up and strangle my brain. I would be possessed by the spirit of myself, the fanboy ghost of Professor Hamby would rise out of his body to take possession of the higher neural functions. And and I'm sure that's what happened to Reginald Hudlin, who was like, I'm about to take this contract for six issues doing a crap ton of work that will pay like one hundredth of my normal work, but it's fucking T'Challa. I get to write T'Challa. And so he did it. And what he found was, as he talked to people, they were like, you're writing a comic? He's like, yeah, it's fucking Black Panther. And these friends of his who are like him and African-American go, who? Mm -hmm. And and I imagine, you know, I don't know if he's a person that likes to curse or not. I don't know Reginald Hudlin, but I'm imagining that at least on a spiritual level, he went, motherfucker. (laughs) You know, what he might've actually said was, Oh, you're not familiar with the Black Panther. But in his mind, I imagine he went, "Motherfucker, don't know Black Panther?" <laughs> you know, he strikes me as a very articulate intelligent person. So I you know, that's imagine how, how I imagine he felt, not what he said. Um so he ended up titling the first run of it, and by the way, they talked to him about six issues. It became an ongoing series, which is why we have the complete Reginald Hudlin Black Panther now. And he entitled the first run of it, Who is the Black Panther? Because he wanted to answer that question he got, Who is the Black Panther? And we have this strange hybrid. Now, I think it would actually be fun to potentially try to resolve this Black Panther with Christopher Priest. But it's hard. Because some things are just very, very different. If you do attempt to resolve them and say this happened... Story wise after Christopher Priest, you have to first say that T'Challa got cured of the brain tumor and somehow that got resolved as a temporal paradox. Because this is not the stoic faraway Black Panther. This
2: is easy. The time the Black Panther timeline is easy.
0: Okay, let's hear this.
2: Frog bullshit happened.
0: Yes, frog (laughs) bullshit definitely happened. There is no doubt of that whatsoever. Um, But I think the frogs are only a partial explanation. I'm just
2: saying you can explain everything away through one word. Frog.
0: Frog. Okay. Well, let's get into this a little bit. And I I want to point out that this is the basis of the Black Panther movies. This is what Todd Nahisi Coates built off of. And I'm gonna love talking about Todd Nahisi Coates because Todd Nahisi Coates is also an academic who's written about, you know, African-American issues in a way that gives us a lot to work with here. Reginald Hudland, however, is creating a product of entertainment. But I think it's worth looking at the differences because one of the things we do in this course is not just look at the literature and not just at the history, but also the social aspects. And this tells us something about what a young black person would look up to as a role model figure of a black superhero. And I think Reginald Hudlin has his pulse on that really well. So let's look at this. Now, first thing I want to point out about the art in this, because you can see it through my voice, is I want you to look at the Black Panther's fingers here. What do you see, Rowan? Yes, there was a definite stylistic decision to invoke Kirby in the Black Panther art here.
2: You know shit's about to go down when they invoke Kirby.
0: Now, I want to say something about Kirby. You know, I I know people think I talk about Kirby too much. And you're wrong. You're fucking wrong. Um, Let's point out that of the three big creators of Black Panther, Don McGregor, white Jewish man, Christopher Priest black man from Queens, and Reginald Hudlin, black man highly involved with black entertainment in America, two of those three felt they needed to go back to Kirby for the heart of Black Panther. They weren't the white guy. So Kirby was on to something clearly, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, they decided they wanted to directly invoke Kirby. And as we see how Black Panther talks, you're going to see... Shadows of Looney Tunes T'Challa here. It's, it's a notch above Kirby's Black Panther, in fact. But we definitely get back to that. This Black Panther has fun being the Black Panther. And so if you want to put in a timeline, he has to be cured of it. And we have to argue that the reason he was so aloof was he was basically counting down the days to his own death. But this T'Challa likes being who he is and he has fun
2: when they have a brain tumor except for
0: Deadpool. Right. But there's still things that counteract it. Now, here, this opening page from Black Panther. Oh, this is an art uh, piece. Look at those fingers. You, that, that is so Kirby.
2: Kirby has been invoked.
0: He has. But who is the Black Panther? Part one. We open on Wakanda, 5th century AD. First of all, I want you to tell me what you think of these colors. And did the great. Right. And so we have kind of a four parts to the page. The top of the page are these ceremonial wooden masks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're historically accurate in any way or shape, whatever, but they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And then we get a panel with these washed out oranges and pinks. And I think it's a sunrise, not a sunset, mm-hmm. because we have an invading army. And then we have yellow and black figures. And then we return to those yellow and orange colors. With these African skin tones, and I just I'm I'm so happy that we've now reached a point. While this is being published around 2005, where we have art that maybe is not perfectly evocative of African skin tones, but is getting really really close finally.
2: At least they don't look like the same color as trees.
0: Right, and the art they're doing is definitely of. A, uh, 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 I forget the anthropological term. Uh, uh, yeah, I do remember, negroid. Uh, and please, people, don't be offended. I'm using the anthropological term for the genotype of people from, you know, middle to South Africa of their facial features. They are using that, and they're not exaggerated. They don't look like some sort of weird stereotype. There's a huge amount of diversity. So while they're staying true to that anthropological, you know, type of stock of humanity they don't all look the same which happened a lot in the history of art it was like they didn't know how to draw diversity in African faces but now we get that and I love that and we get these details of ceremonial weapons and shields uh, and practical ones for warfare armbands and little things around the wrist but they don't look like they came out of a bad Disney film about Africa these look like things you could imagine tribal people wearing that were functional as well as decorative.
2: I like the behind the main guy at the bottom. It's very painted.
0: Right. I I, I love this art. And I think the artists really wanted to make an evocative Africa that was a balance between artistic and real. Mm-hmm. And I'm not qualified to judge whether they were accurate or not. I've never been to Africa. I'm not an expert on African history, but it, it evokes the feeling in me that I think they wanted to invoke. So this is Wakanda, the 5th century AD. Basically, this other African tribe is invading and the people are saying to the lead soldier, "The lead well, the lead soldier starts with saying, stay focused. I've heard that the Wakandans are fierce. Somebody behind him. Fierce? Isn't that what you said about the last tribe? Yeah, and the one before that? Actually, no. I only said that about the Wakandans. And as they progress, they trigger traps. And they're killed. And two of them are killed in what are called the teeth of the panther. And it's clear these are sort of symbolic. And when they continue progressing, more traps are triggered. And then just a volley of spears like the... The fall of God's wrath upon the world starts hitting them. These spears are coming from over a hill. From so far away, they can't even see their enemies. And the spears are filling the sky. There's no aiming. They're just hitting every other inch of freaking ground. And
2: that's what I call hitting a
0: target. Right. So they're trying to run away, and the volley just advances. Like... Like, somebody back there is cranking the machine from, all right, let's go from 600 yards to 650, 700, 750. We'll just keep killing them as they run.
2: Who says you need to aim to use arrows?
0: Uh, Nobody in history ever. Not in warfare. I'll go ahead and tell you, if you're not aware of this, in warfare, arrows were always about volume. But let's be clear, these aren't even arrows. These are spears you know the power you need to propel a spear like that that distance? Holy crap balls. And they're punching through shields and armor. Huge amounts of power. One guy is alive at the end, and a voice he can't even see the source of says, Tell your tribe. Tell everyone. And that's an ongoing motif. These people attempt to invade Wakanda, and they always leave one alive to spread the story. Right. And then we have a brief interlude with this mysterious figure talking to somebody in a jail cell. That's
2: a nice jail
1: cell.
0: But it's also suspended. It's like, for those who've seen the X-Men movies, it's like the one Magneto's in. It's like made out of glass and floating so there's no human contact. That
2: looks like a small apartment bedroom.
0: Okay. I'm not sure what to say to that. I mean, jail cells in first world countries are usually not meant to torture people. Um, now we jump to Wakanda, the 19th century, and we get these group of Dutch explorers uh, out of South Africa. The Dutch settled South Africa, of course, and they're attempting to invade Wakanda. And the Kaffirs, which is a Dutch term insulting uh, blacks, uh, a, a, a very strong prerogative. I, my understanding, per, pejorative, uh, and it's my understanding that it's a very ugly term, similar to the N-word that I would probably get blasted for saying if I said it here, even though it's in the context of being a horrible thing to say. Um, but I'm trying not to trigger you ignorant shits out there, so I won't say it. Um, oh, just trying not to get this flagged. Yeah, pretty much. So they run off, because they're like, we ain't stupid. We know about Wakanda, and we ain't trying this. And so the, the, the South African Dutch kill all the black for slave labor, you know, and slaves are like, well, might as well, the Condons will kill us. While the white people, of course, are like, just a bunch of ignorant jungle monkeys. What's the big deal? We'll take over their country. And by the time they get there, what they see is a big tribal fence and a giant panther statue. The lead one uses a telus, uh, a spyglass and sees women inside carrying things around and says the boys will get their fair share of booty tonight for sure you know just to make it clear to us that they're assholes and then suddenly this guy shows up bare-chested panther cloak panther hood you know ceremonial dress and basically tells them you got one chance to gtfo and they're like yeah right And then this Kirby-esque machine pops out of the ground behind him going You know, filled with a bunch of super sci-fi circuitry on it. Which literally, from a distance, explodes the gunpowder in their guns. And then the lead goes, shoot the bastard! They look at him, but, uh, sir, what if we misfire too? It... Couldn't all be an accident. He's doing something. Remind me to shoot you later, coward? Can your juju handle 700 rounds a minute? Well, it turns out it can just fine if you're never allowed to fire because all the gunpowder blows up on you, just like it did all the individual guns. Um, at which point, the guy who refused to fire looks at the 19th century Black Panther, maybe Azari the Wise or his father, and says, "Uh, sir, before you slaughter us all, I hope you noticed that he was the only person who continued to fire on you. I hope your offer to allow us to leave is still open, please." And that's when he sees all the soldiers behind the Black Panther. So, I'm
2: gonna take that as a no.
0: Presumably, one of them was allowed to leave to share the story.
2: Maybe it was a nice guy asking.
0: <laughs> Maybe I kind of hope so. Because he seems like the, the least stupid of all of them, right?
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so now we flash to modern day. Now, all of this is important to establish the interaction between Wakanda and the West. You know, we had small glimpses of this dynamic with both McGregor and Priest, but Hudlin really puts it stage forward, that you have to understand the interaction between Wakanda and other countries to understand the Black Panther. And here's where we see the first of the huge, well, the second of the huge retcons. The first being that Wakanda has been established now to have been a place of technology since the beginning of their history. I mean, in the fifth century, they had technology that the Europeans didn't have 500, not till really a thousand years later. If you consider the physics of those spears, they never developed the physics of that. The ability to explode gunpowder remotely with some Kirby-esque robot yeah, Europe didn't have that in the 19th century. Just saying. I
2: don't think we have that
0: now. Nope. <laughs> um, maybe the theory of it, but definitely not the engineering of it. So we now have that Wakanda has always been the super advanced society. So now we see this meeting room in the White House and we see somebody saying, they can't do that. We're the goddamn United States of motherfucking America. Where do a bunch of jungle bunnies get off on telling us they've got a no-fly zone over their thatched huts? And a black woman sitting at the table looks at him like, do I need to beat your ass? Do I need to beat your ass? Now, given the time period this is published in, this is meant to be representative of Condoleezza Rice, who was an African-American secretary of state. Um, and so this guy looks at her and goes, did I say something wrong? Oh, my God, Uh, uh, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean you when I say, shut up, Wallace. I I mean, they're nothing like you. Shut up.
2: Word of advice for people at home. If you have to ask, did I say something wrong? You said something wrong.
0: And word of advice, when you start using phrases like, well, clearly I didn't mean you. You're not like them. It, It... if you're asking, was I a racist? Yes, you were a racist.
2: If you have to ask if you are a racist, you are a racist. Well,
0: not necessarily. I'm not going to agree with that 100%. But when you start using phrases like, well, not you, you're different. You are a racist. Yeah. So at this point, they bring in their research expert on Wakanda, Everett K. Ross, <laughs> who there's no indication of has ever met T'Challa. And they make no indication of he has any inside knowledge at all. He's
2: back again.
0: (laughs) But look at him now. He's in a suit.
2: And his hair looks well kept.
0: And has glasses.
2: You are the Ross I
0: know. Right. You're not. You don't know Buster.
2: You're not my
0: Ross. You don't know Buster. You're not Everett K. Ross. So they establish in history right up one of the things that one uh, wanted to do was establish that Black Panther is a symbol like Captain America is, which is also something Priest pointed out. So he establishes that the U.S. attempted to invade with allied forces Wakanda in the 1940s, seeking uh, Nazi scientists who were also attempting to invade Wakanda, unaware that the Wakandans had caught the Nazis and executed them days beforehand. And Captain America and uh, T'Chaka, or in this case, it was probably Azari the Wise, came to blows, and the Black Panther firmly defeated Captain America. No draw, no superheroic, we had a misunderstanding, and then hugged it out. No, Azari the Wise picked Steve Rogers up, threw him over his shoulder, and threw his ass out of the country. That's kind of changed a little bit later, but they wanted to establish it was a decisive victory. To, to make context for what a badass Black pa- the Black Panther is.
2: Translation, T'Challa's great-great-grandfather handed Captain America his ass and told him to leave.
0: Right. <laughs> and, and that's an important representation here. So we go back to the guy in the jail cell, and we see that the guy talking to him is actually Claw. And we get the first part of a completely new origin for Claw. Now, before we get to that, we see this ceremonial battle and we aren't told immediately, but we find out that this is about 10 years in the past. The black Panther goes out to defend his title once a year because people are challenging for the right to be the black Panther, which was something that Christopher priest established. Mm -hmm. And the black Panther is kicking their ass. He faces a big guy does manage in the end to beat him. We see princess Shuri sneaking out of the castle Now, Reginald Hudlin felt that one of the traditional problems with the representation of the Black Panther was that there was no family. I mean, clearly there would be an heir and a spare, which is very normal in royal traditions the world over.
2: So much so that we have the term the heir and the spare.
0: Right. And we get the Black Panther having an actual biological mother, which is amazing, which makes him less Batman-like, because only one parent's dead. Um... So and they weren't robbed. Right. And he has an uncle, which he hasn't had since the Black Musketeer era of... Uh, we, or, wait, wait, wait. We, we don't talk
1: about
0: them. We don't talk about the Black Musketeers? No. Okay. We won't talk about the Black Musketeers. But he has an uncle and a cousin.
2: Holy shit. He has family. I know.
0: So They'll probably be gone. Welcome. Eventually, Shuri sneaks out, and Shuri tries to sneak in to fight for the position, but a masked figure beats her there and kicks the Black Panther's ass, and takes off his mask to show it's T'Challa. The Black Panther is his uncle, the regent, who's been ruling since T'Challa's father, T'Chaka, was killed when T'Challa was a boy. So, in the comics, T'Challa immediately becomes the king on his father's death, but of course here, with an actual family around, a regent takes over until T'Challa can come of age and successfully claim for the throne. T'Challa did not want to be given this. He did not want a potential rule to be sullied by people believing that his father threw his uncle threw it through the fight. So he entered in secret with a mask so that his uncle would actually give the fight as all. In order to give himself a better legitimacy. And the uncle, we're not doing Shades of Hamlet here. The uncle happily steps down, glad that T'Challa is ready to take the throne. No weird politics as he tries to take over, which is a nice touch. And in fact, we continue to see the uncle, as the series goes on, being a valued political advisor to T'Challa. As T'Challa... Now we jump back 10 years, Claw and this weird guy he broke out of prison are going to a house... Of ladies who provide intimate entertainment? They ain't masseuses, dudes. Um, And Claw says, like, you know, I'll come back later. And his buddy picks up a blonde. They go in the room. He pays her extra to kiss her. And then he falls dead as he takes over her body. He is a supervillain known as the Cannibal. He transfers his mind into bodies, taking all their memories and taking them over. And he did this to pick up a hot girl because they needed somebody that would be useful for seducing a target. You look like you're processing this.
2: It's always sex workers.
0: Well... I mean, where do you find a hot girl to kiss you for money?
2: Um, <laughs> Just
0: all, all, right. all right. Well, anyway, so now hes we've got Claw, who is fully human, by the way. And as we move on, we now run into the Rhino, who's in Africa. And the Rhino's a jerk, and he's with Batrock. You saw a version of Rock in the Captain America Winter Soldier movie. Um, This one's not that terribly different. And we find out that Claw, Batrock, Cannibal, um, Rhino, and a villain called the Radioactive Man are all grouped up in this African country bordering Wakanda called Niganda in order to help stage an invasion of Wakanda. And the Radioactive Man is going to attempt to destabilize the Vibranium Mound as part of this.
2: Actually, know where Wakanda
0: is? Yes. They've where never has, successfully invaded it, but they do know where it is.
2: Where has it moved to this time? Now,
0: there's actually a map of it. Hold on, I may have gone past this too quickly, but they actually put it on a map when the State Department's looking, oh. and it is clearly right here in Central Africa.
2: So it's moved to Central Africa.
0: Right. It was down here. Now it's here. Uh, in later stuff, it will be up here. Uh-huh. But right now, it's here. That won't last, trust me. (laughs)
2: Yeah. My headcanon still is for the reason why no one ever knows where it is. is because it moves. Right. It physically picks up and moves.
0: Right. So we're also kind of disregarding Don McGregor canon here because it was explicitly next to both Azania, as written by not Don McGregor, somebody else, but that was a stand-in for South Africa, and in Don McGregor's Panther's Prey, next to South Africa. But we've moved around. We've also invented and gotten rid of countries a few times. <laughs> so what we now find out is that Claw never invaded Wakanda in this new telling. And he doesn't have a body made out of sound. Just his arm is this weird machine. Because what he was is the descendant of that, the guy from South Africa who, who manned up that giant uh, Gatling gun and the ancestor of T'Challa killed. That was his, like, great-great-great-grandfather, Claw's. And Claw wanted revenge for the family line, so he is hired to assassinate T'Chaka when T'Chaka is invited to a meeting of some big global powers. Now, I'm going to read to you some of the text here because some of this went viral. It went viral on Twitter. It went viral uh, among comic book fans. There was an animated version of Black Panther done where this scene was used and people went apeshit happy over it because it establishes an important tone. So I'm going to read it. So this is Claw telling his villainous co-buddies about the meeting. Third world countries aren't normally invited to the real meetings like this. That's what the UN is for, a place for the powerless to whine about the white man. But they invited Wakanda to the big boys' table because everyone wanted a crack. At their resources. Untouched petroleum deposits, medical cures unknown in the Western world, and vibranium, the rarest, most valuable mineral on Earth. And then we see T'Challa walk in with his advisors. And this little guy who's like the definition for... He, he manages to be both dopey and snake-like at the same time. And I really want to know what's going on with that hair. That hair. Dude, Marcel from Top Chef wants his hair back. No, um it's a thing. Anyway, so this little guy with this tiny mustache and everything looks at T'Chaka, who doesn't even bother sitting down. He's Can you just say that again. My apology. Oh, shut up, Siri. So T'Chaka doesn't even bother to sit down at the table. And the guy says, Your Majesty will pay whatever price you set for your goods. I'm just imagining it's French. I don't know T'chaka says, They are not for sale until the spiritual advancement of the West catches up to their technological prowess. It would be irresponsible to share our scientific discoveries with you. What? Are you calling everyone here irresponsible children? No, more like sullen teenagers who feel uh, more mature than their behavior warrants. The fact that every conversation here is framed in terms of profit and power says it all. Then the others stare at him like... Didn't profit and power all of them? I mean, they're confused. They look at him like,
1: what did he say?
0: Like that's a bad thing? And then he says, you could have made half of these breakthroughs yourself, but there's too much money to be made in misery. Why cure a disease when people can pay for medicine? Why provide cheap energy when we get the point to Chaka? Huh, I've never met a socialist with a crown on his head before but I guess there's a first time for everything. Who gave you permission to use my first name? Ah, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend. I understand your frustration in dealing with a black man who can't be bought with a truck of guns, a plane load of blondes, and a Swiss bank account, but hold on to what little class you have. The meeting <laughs> is over. And he just turns around and walks out. mic. It just dropped. Oh, it wasn't a little mic. It was a big-ass mic. So he goes back, and he says to the fam, we're out. Now, outside is a sniper who tries to shoot T'Chaka through the window, but his security forces have seen this possibility and put some vibranium lacing on the windows to keep bullets from coming through. And then it turns out that Claw has hidden under the floorboards for two weeks. I don't know how he ate or anything. They don't say, don't, don't ask me. Pops up and manages to kill T'Chaka.
2: How bad do those floorboards smell?
0: I don't know. Look, look, we're not getting into that. Somehow he did it, right? T'Chaka manages to tear off his arm. Uh, Claw's employers are so grateful, they hide him. But before he can escape, T'Challa manages to shoot him up. Oh, I'm sorry, I misremembered. T'Chaka did not tear off his arm. Uh, T'Challa basically did using Claw's own gun that he dropped. So they're going back to that original origin story where T'Challa's using his own weapon against him to blow off his arm, but it's an attempted at assassination in Switzerland, not an invasion of Wakanda. And because part of it is this premise that Wakanda has never been successfully invaded. Which also plays hell with the origin story of Killmonger, by the way. Different issue. So. Here we have Klaue. he's gotten his weird cybernetic arm. He, the council's trying to decide what to do. They're still trying to find Claw. It's one of the big things drawing T'Challa. Uh, one of the advisors says, What if we offer them the cure to cancer, but we'll only give it to them if they can find Claw for us? Talking of the Western world. So they just <laughs> casually drop that that's how advanced they are. Right? So we're, it's very clear Wakanda is a paradise, it is a utopia. And they've done this by isolating themselves from an irresponsible outside world. They are a royalty, but a benevolent one. So we now have the next member of our invading team built up here. We already have a Dutchman in the form of Claw. We have um, at least one American in the form of Rhino. Uh, Not sure about the cannibal's origin. But anyway, we clearly have the Dutch... And we have the Americans cooperating to basically attack Wakanda. And now we find out the Vatican is involved in it, having found a guy to be a new black knight, giving him a winged horse and a magic sword to help attack. So that those godless heathens in Wakanda can be converted to Christianity. So now we find out the role of this neighboring country, Naganda, and that basically the guy ruling Naganda is happily taking this money because he's just a typical African tyrant. You know, his people are starving and he takes money to let his country be used to invade Wakanda and so he can build a new golden statue of himself. Of course. Right, this kind of thing. So now part four of Who is the Black Panther? We see these kids touring the Vibranium Mound. We see this modern Wakandan education. We see the trouble caused by the interaction of the radioactive man and the T'Challa rescuing a child. And we get a panel coming up here that, I'm, again, I'm going to read because this resonated with a lot of readers, especially black readers. The child comes up. He wants to thank him. He says, um, you are the Black Panther, sacred god of our clan. And he says, I am a man. Our god works through me the same as you. There is no feat I achieve that you are not capable of. And this is, you know, to hit the heartstrings. Mm -hmm. And it does. I see you tearing up there. You're suppressing it. Let it go. It's okay. You don't need to be a cooler than you hipster art major. You can just roll with it. Um, We see the new Black Knight praying. We see them all getting together. And then all hell breaks loose. The rhino runs in to cause a huge distraction. The Black Knight starts attacking in the air. The Wakandan fighter jets... Uh, who have hilarious reactions. Uh, Control, I got a man on a flying horse attacking me with a sword. I mean, that is a kind of understandable reaction. I can't believe this. He got me. I'm going down. So, and and then just to show what a psychopath this Black Knight is, he goes after these guys who are on parachutes to attack and kill them. It's not enough to take out the plane. He's going to kill these helpless guys falling to the ground. So, the but Black Panther decides to get involved.
2: Imagine going through all that flight training, doing all that training to be able to fly one of those. Right. And you're taken down by a guy in a fucking horse with right. a sword.
0: Meanwhile, a burrowing unit carrying the radioactive man has now penetrated the vibranium mound from underground, which is where Shuri went to do some research to try to figure out what caused the earlier destabilization. And the radioactive man just grabs people and melts their faces, which understandably bothers Shuri. While this is happening, the United States, who has a very clear attitude of, well, you're either for or against America, says, there's no way a bunch of waffle makers are going to play us out of position in Wakanda. We need to send in support troops to aid our Wakandan allies right away. Uh, where are those troops coming from? We're spread thin. Oh, that's one thing we got plenty of. We got more than enough bodies to invade. I mean, assist Wakanda. In other words, their idea is this old political ploy of, you know, we'll send in troops to support you, and then we have a whole bunch of troops present in your country. Yeah, right? So... I'm going to try to speed it up because we're already, you know, closing in on an hour here. But T'Challa makes short work of the Black Knight. Uh, His sword falls through the ground, ends up being used by Shuri to literally cut the radioactive man in half. Right. And while all this is happening, the... Remember I said that the Black Panther had a cousin? Well, that blonde was there to make contact with the cousin. And while all the fighting is going on, his ship gets blasted out of the air, and the cannibal transfers himself into the cousin's body. So now the Black Panther's cousin, and political diplomat to the U.S., because he wants the throne himself, and T'Challa wants him out of Wakanda, is now controlled by the cannibal.
2: So the blonde war.
0: Right. So... All kinds of stuff gets resolved in a few issues here. And there we go. I wanted to find the panel of Shuri cutting the radioactive man in half. This causes some trauma for her to deal with later. This is the first time she's killed someone.
2: Which is going to be kind of scary.
0: Now, it is said explicitly that she was raised to be a Black Panther, but she's not had the life experiences T'Challa has at this point.
2: Yeah, they don't give the spare the same training.
0: Right. Well, she's had the same training, but not the experience. She hasn't had to kill There's a crossover with House of M here, which was a whole Marvel event I don't care about. Um, You can read it for yourself. It's not canon in Marvel history because reality and time got changed, but it plays back to the ongoing themes that Reginald Hudlin has been building, and it's a fun little read. Then we have a couple issues that I mostly didn't care for because they're crossovers with X-Men. Now, one advantage of getting the Reginald Hudlin complete Black Panther is that they include the X-Men issues here, which makes it easy to read. But during this time period, the X Men were basically being ridden as a bunch of super powered whiny brats who are juvenile and can't get along with each other. And this whole storyline of how the Red Ghost, who is an old Soviet era supervillain, uh, was basically running a base in Naganda, and everything's gone haywire with his experiments, including mutant animals, since the country got destabilized trying to invade Wakanda. Which. Wakanda went in and said, you're helping people invade us. That gives us the excuse to invade you, and we're tearing out your government. And they also sent all the U.S. troops packing, like, you're out of here in 24 hours, or we're at war with America. Right.
2: So so pretty much everyone wants a piece of Wakanda right
0: right now. Well, I mean, if nothing else, they're the only place in the world to get vibranium. Now, the real function of this Wild Kingdom story, which covered two parts in X-Men, two parts in Black Panther, aside from, you know, kind of ripping at the heart of those of us who grew up actually enjoying X-Men by representing them as annoying brats here, um, annoying middle-aged brats, uh, is that it reintroduced Storm to Black Panther. And we get to see... T'Challa be a little bit of a player and flirt with her. And definite vibes of Fruity Loops Black Panther hitting on Monica Lynn as this T'Challa hits on Storm. And by the end of it, she's been blowing him off because she's like, you broke my heart once. I'm not going to let you do that again. And we find out a little bit of how they met when they were teenagers. And by the end of it, she makes out with him quickly and then flies off. And clearly, her feelings are still there, but she's not ready to make any kind of commitment. Mm -hmm. And then we get Luke Cage. Now, I've always liked Luke Cage as a character. They do his history in a black-and-white effect. It's nice here. And then we get him in the modern day. And, you know, he talks about how the one man he always looked up to was the Black Panther, Avenger, African, King. He's like, oh, he's a badass. And at this point, Luke Cage, Power Man, is an Avenger himself, but he's still got to pay the bills. So he's being hired by this rapper to provide personal security and ends up at a club with the Black Panther. Club at which um, the rumor is that he's at, he's in America to find a wife. And the truth is, he does have pressure on him to find a wife and start creating heirs. But he's actually there. To find his sister, Shuri, who's kind of running away from her problems by trying to party. Because she's still kind of experiencing some PTSD from killing a man. While at the club, the rapper tries to actually attack the Black Panther and tries to shoot him. black. Uh, to which the Dora Milaje, of course, just start kicking everyone's ass.
1: Because there's a Dora Milaje. Right.
0: And then when the rapper pulls out a gun, thinking he's slick... Power Man just puts his hand in front of the gun and catches the bullet. And it's like, you know, that stings at close range. <laughs> um, and then when Power Man tries to go hide at one of his safe houses to decompress, he finds T'Challa already chilling out there. Like, I'm here to offer you a new job. Are you interested? Interested, man. I've been waiting on this moment all my life. And that's when you see the ninjas out the window. Not a few ninjas, a lot of ninjas. And what happens in the next few books is just fun. I'm, I'm going to just go over it really super quick because I don't want to spoil it for people reading it. But first of all, we get what might be the single best cover in the history of comics. Shang-Chi, the villain who they can't name because it's Fu Manchu. He was not Mandarin, it's not Shang-Chi's dad yet. And along with Black Panther, Power Man. And it's a reference to the classic Enter the Dragon by Bruce Lee, with Bruce Lee. Although I think he wrote it too, so by would probably be
1: appropriate. But he also wrote his movies?
0: Pretty much. I mean, I think he had some assistance with others with plot and stuff, but he was heavily involved in all the aspects of his movies. And the the plots were really just vehicles for the action sequences.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Um, But they were amazing. And this whole issue is just ninjas. I mean, Reginald Hudlin sat down and said, you know, it'd be cool. Power Man and Black Panther beating up on an endless wave of ninjas. And do you know what? He's right. He is right. And I love what I absolutely love in this issue is the black community hanging out outside watching this. There's just waves of sorry, there's a mic there that I hit. There's just waves of ninjas coming into this building and they're standing around just watching it and making commentaries.
2: (laughs) If it was modern times, people would be grabbing their cell phones out and recording.
0: Right. But I love how they're like, God damn, would you stop throwing ninjas through my window? Yelling at Power Man. Man, I hate it when we got ninjas up in this area. (laughs) I'm thinking maybe this is Hell's Kitchen because... If it's Hell's Kitchen, they've dealt with waves of ninjas before because of Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Just saying. For those who aren't familiar, Daredevil, enemy of the hand, endless waves of ninjas, yeah. So this storyline goes on, and then eventually they end up on a ship. There's various jokes where they're saying, you know, like, at one point, T'Challa says, of course, he's the original scheming Asian warlord that dreams of conquering the whole world. He is the infamous F And then, uh, uh, I no longer go by that name. It's every time somebody starts to say Fu Manchu, they're cut off at Fu- Because Marvel's yeah. lost the license to Fu Manchu.
2: did didn't we also share this issue in the Shang-Chi episode?
0: Yes, we did. We talked about it. We had to!
2: I knew this art looked familiar in that line.
0: Right. Uh, and so he, said, so he says, uh-uh, I no longer go by that name. It was a silly title given to me by ignorant Westerners that simply meant Man of Manchu Dynasty. Every hundred years or so, I like to do a makeover, as the Americans say. Now I am simply Han. The Power Man raises his glasses. Han? Like the bad guy in Enter the Dragon? You're kidding, right? <laughs> so, I mean, another Enter the Dragon reference. Um. So by the end of all this, they've had all this fighting, they flew there. Uh, The Bat-Han, if you want to call him that, basically pulls aside a curtain and says, why are you here? Meet Far, my daughter, a precious flower that will make your wildest dreams come true. And just look at T'Challa and Power Man's faces. Uh... Uh. T'Challa, Fu, I mean, Han, uh, th- this is an unexpected and generous proposal to offer me. Your daughter is quite an honor. Power Man whispers to him. And not the fugly daughter either. She is fine. <laughs> uh, so. Basically, T'Challa rejects it. Shang-Chi shows up. There's a whole lot more fighting. And by the end of it, uh, uh, they're all talking. And Power Man says to T'Challa, look, I just want you to think before you answer here. This girl is insanely pot. And I bet Han wasn't lying about her abilities to please, if you know what I mean. Could it hurt to go out on a date with her? And T'Challa's like, you got a
1: point. (laughs)
0: So it's left out of the comic, but I'm pretty sure T'Challa and her had an evening of conversation. Next up, we get a storyline where we get to have Blade and Brother Voodoo. It is awesome. We also get Monica Rambeau, a.k.a. uh, Captain Marvel slash Photon, whatever name she was going by at the time. We get old southern vampires trying to reestablish the old south racist plantation system uh, where they bred white pe- bred black people for food. And we get T'Challa, who we find out has kept the Black Knight's sword and had a sacred suit of Black Panther armor made.
2: <laughs> you mean to tell me there's a comic somewhere where the Black Panther gets mecha armor?
0: It's not mecha armor. It's more knight armor. And it's right here. And basically, he's now vampire proof with a holy sword. It's awesome. And I don't need to go over the plot. But there's a point here where he's talking about how to solve the problem. And he's talking to Monica Rambeau. And he looks at her and he takes off his helmet. And he just kind of slides up to her. This is a conversation I've been meaning to have with you for a long time. You use your powers in such a mundane ways. It makes me sad. Uh, sad? You have the power of the sun at your disposal. and You use it like a six-shooter. You manipulate matter on a molecular level. You are a goddess. Act like it. These two old black guys are sitting there. One of them whispers to the others. Did you hear that rap? He just laid on her. The Black Panther is a pimp. He could get some now if he wanted. I know I would. (laughs) (laughs) And and I mean, they're meant to be silly. I mean, this is not meant to be serious. You're not meant to uh, uh, feel like this. But it's meant to emphasize this point that the Black Panther's cool. I mean, he was cool for Christopher Priest, but aloof. This is the Black Panther that will slide up and take a honey home with him. And in and, and that way, he is the Jack Kirby Black Panther. He's having fun, and he's a smooth operator, as well as a king and all that. So it's a different vision you get. As the storyline goes on, we really need to speed this up, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but we get the return of Storm. But it turns out that when the X-Men left Africa, she decided to stay behind. She's basically been moving across Africa, helping people with their crops by bringing rain, as well as shutting down slave rings that abduct and use uh, kidnapped girls for uh, uh, human trafficking and sex slaves and such. And Black Panther doesn't show up to back her up because she doesn't need that. He shows up to bring water and supplies. For the people and you know she says so you found me he says he didn't make it hard all i had to do was follow the path of fried slavers and newly made lakes in the middle of the desert
1: <laughs> not subtle uh,
0: <laughs> no. And they have this conversation about why he left when she was a child. He left because he had to return to his obligations as a king, and he had his own emotional problems about finding out Claw was alive. Um, and he gets down on one knee, and he, he, he talks about how much he loves her, and says, will you marry me? We also find out, by the way, that this new guy is being trained like the Black Knight in a new Arabian Knight with a flying carpet and sword and all that. It becomes a fun joke in a little bit.
1: Disney called. They want their plot back.
0: Yeah. So we, we return to, and I like the humor injected here. Uh, uh, the Black Panther is still down on one knee, and Storm says, say it again. Aurora Monroe, will you marry me? I heard you the first time. I just wanted to hear you say it again. So am I supposed to wait here until my arms fall off? <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of banter they have, and it's good. Um You know, things are happening. He's like, quick answer before whoever's headed here gets here. We need to talk. Not that. No, I just mean, hold on a minute. And so fighter planes attack, the the Arabian night attacks. The Black Panther, instead of just taking the guy out, just messes with him while having a conversation with Storm. You know, the guy swinging this enchanted sword at him, and just like doing things like putting his hand on the guy's head and leaping over him back and forth. You're being childish. I'm being childish. Don't you have any forgiveness in you? I see. I should feel sorry for you. Yesterday's sorrows are nothing compared to tomorrow's joy. We could have a lifetime of love ahead of us. All this time, the guy's trying to kill him, and he's just dancing out of the way of the sword. I never stopped loving you. <laughs> And then finally he gets tired of dealing with this guy who and, and just gives him a roundhouse kick to the stomach and lays him out while talking to Storm. <laughs> and then he gets up one last time, you know, and T'Challa's having a tender moment. I did what young men do. Now I am an adult. I am ready to give you the love you deserve. The question is, do you still love me? And Storm is like, All right, I'm tired of this Arabian night guy, and just lightning bolts him. Down, you know, like I'm trying to have a moment here, man. <laughs> so, I mean, Reginald Hudlin is intertwining humor to, to to give us these moments. She ends up agreeing to be his wife. Um, I don't want to go over all the moments. There's all kinds of back and forth. There's interplay with the ongoing Civil War event that's happening. The reactions of the people in the superhero community. We have... Do you oh, recognize no. her? No. Yes, Princess Zonda is back. Um, she shows up later pretending to be Storm, causing problems. We get to see all these figures. Monica Lynn is pissed about Black Panther getting married, even though she reject is the one who rejected him.
2: Wait, 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 wait. She's mad?
0: Right, because people are nuts and emotions are fucked up, right? She always... Yeah, we get to see Storm's reaction. Who's obviously not real happy himself, but uh, it, it, but is talking to one of his robots and is like basically saying, "Storms, uh, uh, sorry, Forge, Forge, Storms X, Forge." Uh, and he's like, "I'm jealous. I shouldn't be. This is stupid of me. She deserves nothing but the best. I'm just staying in my lab until I get over this." Um, which is a very logical way of thinking about your emotions, right? Very I appreciate that of him. And there's a lot of good material here. I'm not going to go over it. A lot of fan service, especially for people who love some of the history of the comics. Um, and we get to see the man ape angry that he wasn't invited to the wedding. Poor man And he's ape. pissed. And then we get to see Luke Cage planning the bachelor party. Of
1: course.
0: Uh, and Wolverine decides to co-plan it with him. All of this goes as it would, as you'd imagine. We're not going to go over the details. There are strippers. Uh Um, And then eventually they have the wedding in Wakanda. And the Watcher shows up. The effing Watcher.
2: You know your wedding's a big deal when the Watcher stops by.
0: Right. It's a cosmic event. Well, I mean, you have the inheritor of the Black Panther tradition, including the access to Bast, the Panther God, combining with one of the most powerful mutants in the world. And, and the X-Gene carries along the maternal line. So, I mean, the children are going to be have incredible potential. Uh, there's some bits I'm not going to get into. It has to do with civil war, as I mentioned, and things like that. Eventually, there is a scene where Storm has to be judged by the Panther God. And I got to give the artist credit. Her wedding dress is dramatic. And obviously, some plays to American wedding dresses, but much more African tribal. And there's an interesting bit where she has a meeting with the mother, and you know, you worry that like T'Challa's mother would disapprove. And T'Challa's mother is thrilled with her, and she basically says, Why? I, you know, I've spent a lot of my time in America, and I'm not from Wakanda. And the mother says, Look, T'Challa's other interests have been people like Monica Lynn. We're a warrior culture. You're a warrior, you're tough, you're strong. And that is who makes a queen of Wakanda. And it's a great moment of that, recognition, of that recognition of her character. And then they enter the spirit world and the art radically changes. And then she has to be judged by the panther god. Who's white now? Well, because they're in this world. And and panthers, actually, that breed are what we would call leopards, and they can be in a number of colors. Um and Remember, it's the panther god, not the black panther, but the panther god represents this wide class of spiritual power, and Storm stands up to face it, and if the panther god disapproves, we'll probably kill her, and yeah, I won't spoil it for those who want to read it, but it's a sweet moment, and you go, aww, and so the panther god approves, and the revelry starts. People are hanging out. And, of course, then the fight starts between Spider-Man and Man-Ape.
2: Of course it's between Spider-Man.
0: Man-Ape showed up. (laughs) I love this line. I came here to wreck revenge for not being invited to demand respect for our tribe. Then when I arrived at the border, they said my name was on the list. I didn't even know there was a list. So Peter's like, uh, what you drinking there, man ape? Scotch. Uh maybe you should stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's why the fight starts.
1: <laughs> so he was alone. <laughs> right. Uh
0: there, there's some just dis- and, and that reaches the end of it. And we the the next volume starts getting into the life of Storm as the Queen of Wakanda. Uh, I will mention at the end of this, they have some great cover sketches by John Romita Jr. I didn't talk a lot about the art. Um, John Romita Jr., of course, is not an African-American. He is a white artist, the son of John Romita Sr., who's one of the great iconic Spider-Man artists. John Romita Jr. has also worked on Spider-Man. I think John Romita Jr. is one of the great artists of comic book history, along with his dad. Um, And I love his art in here. I just, I feel weird talking about it too much on a podcast because it's like taunting the listeners who can't see how beautiful it is. I do recommend if you, if you pick up this complete collection, spend your time staring at the art. And look at these sketches in the back. Because I think they're wonderful to see the process. Ugh. And I love seeing the evolution and detail grow into some of these uh, scenes that he's oh, done.
2: Oh, I love concept art. Yeah.
0: And these are some of the alternate covers that were done Gorgeous. which are amazing and i mean that cover by michael turner for storm is just i mean it's cheesecake it's sexy it's powerful it's everything mm-hmm. it's just amazing that is storm is the goddess so there we go what did you think of uh the first volume of reginald hudlin complete black panther
2: i enjoyed it and i'm not gonna lie i enjoyed it more than priest because i actually felt like i knew what was going on
0: It it is certainly not the extreme convoluted storytelling of Priest. Um, I like it. it, It's it's certainly a more accessible Black Panther. And you can understand why it's the Black Panther the movies are based off of. Yeah. Okay, we're going to cut that out now because we're well over an hour. Uh, Join us next time when we're going to discuss a brief history of Dark Horse Comics. Bye. Keep reading comics.